Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 225. You want to be a director? Direct. Show it to somebody. Then make another film. That's really the only way to do it. If I can make it, you can make it. John Carpenter. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's episode is brought to you by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. Today's show is also sponsored by Studio Unknown. Studio Unknown is a crack team of audio post professionals known for quality sound on any indie budget. Whether you need a lush surround sound mix or a quick festival submission pass, Studio Known can help you with all of your post-sound needs, from sound design and mix to Foley, ADR, and even a custom score. Contact Studio Known and mention the Indie Film Hustle podcast, and you'll get 50% off one day of ADR or 10% off your complete post-sound package. Just go to studiounknown.com. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank you all for all the emails and messages uh, and likes and comments on the trailer for On the Corner of Ego and Desire. Uh, it's been really, really awesome to get all this feedback from the tribe. I cannot wait to uh, take you guys on the ride that we're hopefully going to go on with this film. So stay tuned for more information on where this little project goes. Now, you guys, have you ever dreamt of making a feature film in one day, in literally 24 hours in a row? And just be done with a feature film, a good feature film that you can actually go out and sell? Well, today's guest did exactly that. Ivan Malikin and his partner Sarah Jane directed a movie called Friends, Foes, and Fireworks. And that film was shot on New Year's Eve in Australia. I think it was uh, Melbourne. 
And they got a bunch of their friends together, their actor friends together. They rehearsed the hell out of it. They shot with two cameras and they literally ran straight through for 24 hours all the way through. The actor said, hell with it. We're not going to sleep. Let's just go and get it done. And they did. And they actually finished a pretty good movie. I saw the movie. I wanted to see what a 24-hour movie looked like. And it looked great. I was really, really impressed. So I wanted to get them on the show to talk about the process of what they did, how they did it, all the technical stuff, uh, how they worked with the actors. Uh, was there a scriptment? Was there a, a real, you know, full-blown script? How did they actually do it? And uh, I want to hope, hopefully this gives you some inspiration as well to go out and make your film. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Ivan Malikin. I'd like to welcome to the show Ivan Malikin, man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Alex? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Uh, I'm so I'm excited to have you on the show, man, because you guys reached out to me and and said, hey, you know, we shot this movie in a day and we're we're selling it now. And I would love for you to took at look at it. And I'm like, I would love to see what a movie shot in a day looks like. And I was pleasantly surprised. I was Ooh. yeah, I was kind of shocked at how good it is because I did my movie in eight days and yes. and everyone says how do you do that but uh, you took it to a whole other place uh so first and foremost how did uh friends foes and fireworks even get started how did you get the idea to make a movie in a day um it didn't the initial plan it wasn't actually filmed in a day um we were just thinking we wanted to actually make a film on New Year's Eve. Um, Sarah, my co-director, and my wife, mm-hmm. um, we think New Year's Eve's overrated. You know, it's a lot of fizzle but not much bang. So we thought, what we'd rather do, we actually, we'd rather be making a film. Mm-hmm. Um, so we based a story around New Year's Eve, but we actually put it to the actors, you know, it's going to be really tough to shoot all night long. Do you want to just go to midnight because we had the fireworks, a key part in the sure. film. We need to have the fireworks. Do you mm-hmm. want to just go to midnight? We'll get that. And then we'll come back and finish off the rest, you know, another time. Mm-hmm. But everyone just wanted to keep going. So, you know, we were glad they did. Like, you know, it just adds more authenticity to the whole project. So, like, you know, we just kept powering on, like, you know, a lot of coffee, a lot of Red Bull, and we got through it. So it wasn't, it wasn't actually a plan. It was something that you – it kind of just happened because the actors like, let's just yeah. do this. It wasn't the initial plan, but, you know, we kind of settled probably two weeks beforehand that, yes, we're going to actually do this all in one night. And then we started building the plan around that. Now, and you know, the way we achieved that, um, you know, I co-directed with Sarah. So even while we're in the same apartment, I'd be shooting a scene in the bedroom with two actors. She'll be on the balcony shooting a scene with other two actors. So we've been shooting simultaneously in the same location. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were breaking up the, 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 the cameras. That's pretty, that's pretty insane. Now, how did you actually uh, get started in the business? Tell me a little bit about yourself as a filmmaker. Um, myself personally, probably started around 10 years ago, 2007, um, back in uni, I'd done professional writing for a long time. I actually wanted to be a novelist. Um, I had a, friend that was into slasher horror films and he recruited me to help him make one of one of them um i had a hand in the script i helped direct it and it was just seeing your words immediately come to life before your eyes it was so immediate it was so engaging and from there i kind of you know gave up the dreams for novel inspiration and started writing scripts and started getting into filmmaking that's that's pretty amazing. Now, what was the writing process and the story process like for a movie that's mostly improv? 
Well, yeah, the food is completely improvised. So what we do in work, we actually uh, break down a treatment of the whole story scene by scene. Mm -hmm. Um, We sit down with the actors and develop, you know, their backgrounds, ask them questions about, you know, their emotions and reactions. And we also, we get all the actors and kind of recreated scenes that the characters would have shared in the past. Like, for instance, in Friends, Furs and Fireworks, one of the characters, Sophia, is an acting teacher to the other girls. Mm-hmm. So we actually had Sophia run an acting class um, for the other you know, characters to actually develop a bond and a shared history they can draw upon for the film. Okay, so you did a little bit of like method uh, rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. A bit of you know improv games, but also just a lot of discussions. And on the actual night, we kind of, had dot points of past we wanted to hits like each scene, like, you know, we want the conversation to go here. Mm-hmm. We didn't know if that was actually going to happen, but, you know, that was kind of the intention to, like, you know, get the point of the scene across. So, you know, we'll kind of, like, do a take and, like, tick off. Okay, we got that, we got that. No, we didn't quite get this. Um, let's try that again. Now, can you tell the audience a little bit about what the movie's about, Friends, Foes, and Fireworks? Friends, Foes, and Fireworks is about five female friends who reunite on New Year's Eve. Um, they have a long history together. They're all in the independent acting scene. Um, but there's also old tensions between the groups. So as they reunite, you're set to have a good time. The tensions from the past, they can't help but resurface. And, you know, it all eventually breaks down. And then the characters all have to grow and kind of find a way to move forward. Now, did you did you actually rehearse uh, the actual scenes, or just only the like backstory scenes? Only the backstories, no rehearsals of the scenes because, well, no scripts and no lines to rehearse. <laughs> so, so you really were just kind of there capturing the lightning, uh, as you will, when when they got on set. You had no idea what was going to happen. So, uh, even one of the characters, um, Taron, mm-hmm. he plays the boyfriend of another character called Lucinda who's been in the UK and she met in the UK. So mm-hmm. the other characters that never actually met Taryn. So we deliberately kept him away from the rest of the group. And the first time they meet him is with cameras rolling as he walks through the door. So it has a very naturalistic uh, mm, so vibe to cap- it. Yeah, capturing that actual genuine reaction as they meet him for the first time. Now, how did you direct actors that are performing improv? Mm -hmm. Um, So like I said before, with the dot points, so kind of doing a scene, seeing what they're like saying, um, you know, picking up anything that they might have missed. So, you know, we sit down with them after a take and like, you know, we'll go do it again. Um, Or if there was a part that we might have missed on camera, like a particular line that's really important, you know, to the character or to the film and we didn't quite get it. So then we'll just like go in for a close up and recreate that. Now, so you basically did what I call a scriptment, uh, which is basically a very structured outline uh, of scenes. And then how, how they get to their points is up to them. Exactly. Yep. Now, how did you cast? Because uh, I don't see, at least from, from my uh, vantage point, no you know recognizable faces or bankable stars. So I'm assuming you used locals uh, in your area. How did you cast such a, uh, you know, because this is a unique set of skills as far as improv is concerned. We, you know, we were cast all locals. Um, we shot the film back when we lived in Melbourne. And, you know, we have a long history in Melbourne in the independent film scene. So a lot of the actors we'd worked with before, we knew their strengths and weaknesses. A lot come from a theatre background. So we knew 
they can pull it off. There was actually no formal audition process. It was all a matter of us actually approaching the individual actor, telling, telling them about our idea and seeing if they wanted, wanted to be part of it. Did you find any, did you run into any hiccups along the way in regards to production uh, with the rehearsal, like having actors rehearse like that? Did you find it at any moment that like, I'm not getting what I need or did you really just flow with it the way it, it came out? No, we, we did actually just flow with it. Um, Back when we knew it, this was actually going to work, we'd done a scene um, where the, uh, all the characters celebrated a birthday dinner for Sophia. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, there was tension between a character named Fiona and Zoe. Fiona's mother had passed away from breast cancer, and Zoe makes a, you know unsensitive remark about cancer. Mm-hmm. And so we actually done that scene with two cameras running. We shot it for 45 minutes you know, nonstop in rehearsal mm-hmm. and came out great. And that's when we actually knew that this concept was going to work. Now, um, how many takes did you usually get of any scene? The most would be three, but usually two. Two. Because, and you, go ahead, go ahead. Because like, you know, it is one night and we just have to kind of keep moving. So, you know, we'd like to spend more time with it, but you kind of just got to go, go, go. Next location, next setup, let's go. Now, how many cameras did you shoot with? Two cameras. And what kind of cameras were they? Um, they were two FS100s. Okay. And how was the workflow for that as far as like post-production, DIT, and all that kind of stuff? Um, well, they both shoot on ProRes. Um, it's only 1920 by 1080. Um, we had our sound recorders with using six lapels with six different actors plus a boom also. So like eight channels of sound. So that, you know, syncing all that that's and isolating different tracks, that was you know, very challenging. So the sound design took a long time for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of camera, it was pretty much straight into Premiere, you know, manually sync all the footage, and away we go. And how many uh, crew members uh, were on set most of the time? Most of the time, in total, I'd say five or six. But when we split up, it was teams of three. Okay, so you actually had two like splitter units running around. Yeah, so I'll be yeah you know, I'll be directing one unit, and Sarah will be directing another unit. Like um, at one point, she was on the beach shooting a sunrise scene, while I was back in the apartment shooting another sunrise scene. And I like I'd pick up the microphone, I'll do sound myself sometimes. Right, <laughs> yeah, because you have to in that kind of situation. <laughs> I was doing second camera a lot of the time, also. That's so you had a so at all times you had two cameras minimum, except unless uh, unless you're doing splinter cells, yeah, yeah, and there's just one camera each. But then, like, by the time it's one camera each, they're two person scenes, so we know we can cover it with one camera. That's pretty amazing, man. You just kind of, you know, I, I did something similar with my movie where I just kind of rolled with it and it was mostly improv. Um, yeah. but this is this is a whole other level. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're rushing to do it all in one day, like how do you stay? I mean, how many hours did you shoot all in? We probably started by the time we got to set um, four p.m. in the afternoon, and uh, we wrapped probably around seven a.m. or seven thirty. And then me and Sarah were cleaning up the apartment until about nine thirty in the morning. So I don't know how much hours did that up to fifteen. That's something like that. But that's 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 like an average normal film day. Yeah, it is, in the film world, that's an average day. That's like an average day in the film world, but you got a whole feature out of it. Um, yeah. What I find fascinating about your, your way of doing this is that you've – I mean there was obviously a lot of preparation for this, 
Because you don't mm-hmm. just kind of like grab a bunch of friends and go shoot. You you mm-hmm. prepared for this. You worked out the story. You worked yep. with the actors, created backstory. Uh, how many, like how long of, of a, a kind of a pre-production process did you go through? can't quite remember. It was probably a month only of pre-production. Okay. Um, I think we had the idea to start, you know, the start of December. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time we cast it, it didn't take too long to cast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we just we knew all the actors that we wanted to work with. So probably only about a month. So not that long, surprisingly. Now, I'm assuming, and I, I won't be as crude as to ask you what your budget was, but I'm assuming <laughs> this was uh, under a million dollars. <laughs> Yeah, it's an it's on IMBD. It's ten thousand. So oh, you, know, oh, right. you made the movie for ten grand. Ten grand. Uh, 10 grand. And, most of that's post. and that includes post. Yeah, that includes post. Most of it actually is post. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was paid something. Everyone was paid something. Yeah. That's pretty. Like, yeah, we all use like deferred contracts and like your profit share and things like that. Oh, so so you, yeah. so you did do profit sharing with the actors. Yep, um, a little small upfront free and then profit share. Um, you know, because you're building a community, you know, you're asking actors to pretty much give up their new year. And yeah, that's a pretty yeah. With us, so we're not even sure if it's going to work. So you know, it's a big commitment, and you know, you you want people all on the same page, and you want to be in this together. Yeah, it's a. It was basically a big experiment because you really had no idea. You had never done anything like this. I'm assuming you had not done this style of shooting before. We have never done this style before. Everything else we've done has been scripted, but now the feature we're working on currently incorporate. We're filming improvised again, just because we so much enjoy this process. I don't think I want to go back to using scripts. <laughs> I feel you, man. Because after I did, uh, I did after I did my movie, it was just such a wonderful experience. And yeah. if you have good actors, you really can pull something off. No, it's amazing. It just releases you from restraints. Isn't like, it? Yeah. Isn't it right? Like, yeah, because I felt so free the entire time. Yeah. And the actors felt free. Everyone just felt kind of like, wow. And it's not for every movie, obviously. If you're going to do a $100 million action movie, you know, you're not going to do this. Um, though Iron Man did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually Iron Man. They were writing the script on the day. Jeff Bridges came out and said, "Yeah, we walk into the set the day no one knew what we were going to shoot. Where they just had basically scene sets up, and then like <laughs> Jeff Bridges. And, yeah, so it did kind of happen on Iron Man, but uh, generally speaking, on these big budget movies, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, but I, I'm uh, that's one also one of the reasons I want to have you on the show because I, I wanted to talk to someone else who's kind of gone through this process the same one that I did and just mm-hmm. kind of preach from the top of the mountain. I'm like, there, this is a yeah. wonderful experience. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Um, Cause even this, it probably came about, you know, I've, I've had negative experiences on set before, like everything structured, everything really formal. You know, last year we made a couple of expensive short films, mm-hmm. um, just did not enjoy the process. And we just want to kind of go back to the core of why we're going to filmmaking, which is, we do this for passion. We do this because we have so much fun with it. So we want to recapture that fun. And, and that's how this came about. And then, it, and again, it's, uh, again, you, you're writing a story around the elements you have. So I'm assuming you had, you, you, that was your apartment. Um, it was an apartment, actually. We put it out on a group because um, it was in St. Kilda in Melbourne. So we put it out on the St. Kilda community group mm-hmm. asking if anyone have an apartment and a lovely lady stepped forward. It's, I'm away on New Year's Eve. You can have my apartment. Here you go. So you didn't even have to pay for the apartment? 
No, we did not. Oh, Jesus. Now, when you left the apartment, uh, did you have any permits for shooting on the streets? Uh, no permits, no. The girls were worried, especially you know, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Everyone public streets. We did actually have a security guard with us, um, you know, just providing protection. But it actually turned out Melbourne is usually really hot on New Year's Eve. You get these really balmy nights. Mm-hmm. But that was actually a colder night, so it wasn't as busy as we thought it was was going to be and we actually had the opposite problem we were expecting like a crowded beach mm-hmm. you know here we actually it was also you know because it was so cold and windy it was actually virtually almost empty so you had it all to yourself yeah yeah pretty much like yeah there's groups of people here and there like you know, occasionally yeah the worst thing we wanted was like you know copyrighted music getting in the way so we had to go you know further away from people but mm-hmm. it was actually much easier on the streets than we thought it would be and and then when you were uh when you were out there shooting uh I mean, because you had a fairly large footprint. It wasn't like it was just like you and a couple actors. It was all your actors, two camera guys, two directors, sound, and I'm yep. sure a couple other ancillary people. How many actual people were on the set? Uh, actors are six, so if we had plus additional six, probably around 12 people. So you're walking around Melbourne, New mm. Year's Eve with six people. I'm assuming you had some lights? We did have some lights, yeah. Um I can't remember what they're called, maybe a couple of Ditos, mm-hmm. um, just to give a more, yeah, just a little bit of ambience, you know, in dark rooms or like, you know, out on the, you know, out of the beach in the sand or near a hut. So we just like a couple of lights on the hut. So, like, you know, just give it more light. Yeah. So, yeah. So lighting wasn't a, a big deal because the movie actually doesn't look bad at all. It looks actually fairly good for what it is. Very naturalistic. It's not very stylized, <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but it's not low lit. It's not ugly by yeah. any stretch. So, you know, and again, you've got 10 years behind you. So I'm just for the audience listening. It's not like, you know, you're going to be 15 and run out and do this. You can, but that experience that you're falling back on really, I'm assuming, helped you during this process. Well, the whole point, we wanted to make it as naturalistic as possible. So we wanted to minimize the use of light. It's all about also moving quickly. And because we're inspired by Mumblecore, they're traditionally not known for their, you know, standout production values. So... Mm -hmm. You know, we do the kind of aesthetic that we're working within and we try to replicate that. Now, you're actually – so the film is done now. Are you guys going to AFM this year? We are. We're going to do a quick stopper over at the American Film Market. Um, we've submitted to a couple of festivals, so just waiting on results. But ultimately, we made the film for iTunes, Amazon, you know, Netflix. We didn't expect a cinema release from this. Um, so – we're kind of seeing what happens with the festivals first and then we'll pursue our iTunes release. Now, are you guys going to do your own uh, self-distribution? Um, well, we'll see what happens at, you know, the American film markets. You know, we've got a couple of meetings lined up, but if not, you know, a company like Distriba, we know we can like, you know, approach them and sure. the iTunes are released that we really like, you know, kind of set up from the start. That's what we wanted to do. And they can also pitch it to Netflix and Hulu yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's how we got our film in Hulu, uh, oh. which is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe that we actually did that, but distributor did that for us, uh, cool. with the pitch. So yeah. And for this kind of budget, that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Do you have an audience? Did you try building an audience? How do you plan on marketing this? Um, well, we got Facebook group, we got Instagram, you know, slowly building it up. Um, so long way to go, but it's also just kind of like the film, a group effort all in. So, you know, once the film's ready to be released, like, you know, 
actors, reach out to your network crew, reach out to your network and you know, spread the word as far as possible about doing interviews with people like you, of course, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have other reviews that we've done. So we just kind of want to keep building word of mouth and you know, kind of reach the apex as we're ready to release the film. Now, is this a model, in your opinion, that other filmmakers can and should follow in making either their first, second, third, fourth, fifth feature? I'm really not sure because this is the first time we're trying it also. So yeah. like like the film shooting on New Year's it was a bit of an experiment. Even our release strategy is a bit of an experiment. So we're kind of going to see what happens with it. Um, we're confident we can get it released. Um, and even we're shooting right now our latest feature, you know, Mumblecore Improvised, kind of with iTunes in mind also. So wait and see, fingers crossed. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions uh, that I ask all of my guests. Um, what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business? Pick up a camera and go out and shoot something. Um, <laughs> I never went to film school. I learned just by doing it myself, just by writing scripts. And my first films are absolutely horrible. Um, you know, they're virtually unwatchable, but I just you know, kept going and you learn from your own mistakes. Mm-hmm. I don't, also don't expect kind of the world to kneel down and fall over your brilliant work. Like have, you know, set yourself some standards, but also be prepared to fail. But that's okay. Just pick up the camera and go make another one. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Book? That's a, not really sure. Maybe J.R. Tolkien Lord of the Rings. I was a big fantasy geek. Okay. When I was younger and like when I wanted to be a novelist, it was always fantasy. And you know, I still do have like a children's fantasy novel that I completed a first draft. So I guess I don't know, I watch a lot of Game of Thrones, so I guess it's that book was it's all about fantasy. Very cool. And then what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Hmm. That's a good question, Alex. So Thank that you. was going to don't. <laughs> Thank you. Be humble, I guess. Okay. Be humble, be yourself. Uh, and try to just you know, find your own niche. What are three of your favorite films of all time? Terminator 2. Excellent. Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Uh, one more. What have I watched recently that I really like? I don't know, Sarah, you throw one. I like Pan's Liver. She likes Pan's Liver. There we go. We'll go with that one. Wait a minute. Sarah's there as well? Yeah, she's behind me. Sarah, why haven't you been talking to us? <laughs> Hi. Hi. That's Sarah, the, co- the co-director of this movie. I would have loved to have you on the show. <laughs> she's smiling at you. Okay. Uh, and where can people find you? Um, Nexus Production Group, our website, it's npgroup.com.au or Instagram or Facebook, Nexus Production Group. And yeah, there's actually a website for the film too, friendsfirewarks.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your journey on how to make a one-day film. And hopefully it will inspire some filmmakers to go out there and uh, grab a camera and make their own. Thanks so much, Alex. Well, guys, I don't know if if that's not the kind of inspiration you need to go out and make a movie. I I don't know what is. These guys were uh, pretty amazing. They just kind of went out and did it. And I think that is the biggest lesson we can take away from Ivan's uh, and Sarah's journey is 
just go out and do it. Don't overthink it. Just go out and do it and do it cheap. Do it just like Mark Duplass says. Do it cheap. Make a $1,000 movie. Make a $5,000 movie. Don't risk too much on these smaller movies. If you went out and made a 24-hour movie and it cost $100,000, you're crazy. There's no reason for something like that. But if you go out and make a $1,000 movie or $5,000 movie uh, for 24 hours in two days and four days and you just rock it out, then go for it and do it. You know, that's exactly how I did This Is Meg. That's exactly how I did On the Corner of Ego and Desire where you just I just went out and it's like, screw it. We're going to go make a movie and let's see what happens. And you, you kind of throw risk into the wind because the budgets are so low. You can be that ballsy. You can go out and experiment and do cool things. If you make a $1,000 movie, it might not be that great, but it might be awesome like Puffy Chair was for Mark Duplass, when they made their, their first feature film was horrible and they spent $60,000 on it and it was absolutely horrible, so bad that they destroyed it and no one has ever seen it except the two uh, brothers. Then they went out and made a movie for, I, I don't even know how much Puffy Chair cost, but I know it didn't cost a lot. I think it was like $5,000 or something like that and it blew up. So you never know, but you're never going to become a better director, a better filmmaker until you go out and actually become a filmmaker. Just go and do it. And I hope this story inspires you. And I hope the the stories of how uh, my team and I made Ego and Desire uh, that I'll be talking about in the course of the next uh, few months uh, will continue to inspire you guys to go out there and make your own projects and tell your own stories. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 225 for the show notes. And guys, do me a favor. If you did enjoy the trailer for On the Corner of Ego and Desire on YouTube or on Facebook, share it. Please send it out to everybody you know. I want to get the word out on the movie. As much as the film is funny, it's also an allegory. It's also hopefully a lesson and multiple lessons on what not to do as filmmakers. So I hope it helps filmmakers out there while they're laughing at themselves a little bit. So please share as many times and as many places as you can. It would mean the world to me. And you can find the trailer at egoanddesirefilm.com. So as always, guys, keep that hustle going, keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.